When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The crosses of St. George are flying all around me. Across, clawed away, put in now though, and put in by Captain Kane. Добро пожаловать в Россию. Today we are joined by Alex McCain, back in the studio, how's things? Not too bad, how are things with you? I'm good, are you jealous to not be on this side of the mic? I am more certainly jealous <laughs> of not being, yeah, um, I wish I was in the the, the, the throne of the, of the, the studio as it were, throne. With, the, with the better mic while I sit here by my uh, comparably... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Impoverished Mike. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, just rambling. I'm, I'm just chucking words around, really. But. Yeah. And we've also got a special guest today. We've got Simon O'Rourke from ITV. Hello. I'm delighted to be here. The name's O'Rourke, but O'Rourke. you know, I mean, it's all right. These <laughs> things happen. Literally, everybody spelled it wrong for my entire life, so I'm not really worried about that at all. It's a, a pleasure to be here, and um, let's crack on. You know, it's funny enough. I was actually talking to Neil Farron. Do you know him? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a thing with him this morning. And I said your name wrong, just like I did there. Uh-huh. And he was like, you'll pick you out on that. I was like, oh, I'll do it on purpose. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose, though. I'd, I'd forgot. Well, it, it, forgot. It doesn't matter. I'm not proud. Everyone, as I say, everyone misses the second R out anyway. So, so I'm it's Simon to, you know, O'Rourke. 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 Our shout was O'Rourke. Irish heritage, you see. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, also, the you're the R voice. Is crucial there. <laughs> he's the voice of Sunderland season reviews for the last, well, we haven't had many out recently, but... At the early 2000s, late 90s? I, back in the day, Tang Tees used to have a big sports department and uh, people might remember names like Roger Thames and that yes, sort of thing. Roger. There used to be enough for an 11-a-side football team in the Tang Tees sports department. These days, I 
I'm the Tang T Sports Department, so things are a little bit different these days. But I remember that. Doing the video reviews was always great. Used to sometimes go and get to sit down with people. Did things like Super Kev's Hot 100 no, as well. I had that, I had that. Yes. Super Kev's that Hot 100. One. one of my personal favourites, that one. Yeah, it was great back in the day. Obviously, it's, it's more a sort of news programme-based operation now, but they're good times, good memories then. So it's like Game of Thrones. You, like, kill off all the others. It's just me. <laughs> just me sitting there. I think more Highlander. There can be only one, you know. <laughs> That's you. You can beat them all out. So when did you actually start? Working for ITV? Um, I'd be interested to know how old you both are because it, it might. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, I got um, an extra five days leave this calendar year because I'd hit 21 years working nice. at Time Tees. So it was uh, doing the count back, I think it was 1996 or, or early 1997. Obviously, mental math's not the strong point <laughs> at that stage. So I think it was ni- late 1996 because it was. I think it was actually last year where I got the the extra leave and that sort of thing. So yeah, 21 years. It's been it's been grand, brilliant. Love working in sport in this area. Absolute privilege to do it. Don't mind the odd bit of stick that comes your way being in sport on Tyne Tees because it's such a great job to do. Good. Well, to answer your earlier question, there, um, if you've been working in this job for 21 years, that's how many years I've been on this planet. So. <laughs> There's an indication for you. Well, yeah, I, you know it's okay. There's a, a thousand things a day that make me feel old now, but that's well, that. There's yeah. just another one of them, so that's fine. <laughs> well, I would have been two or three. I mean, the fact that I can remember all the season reviews would suggest that you know you were always there in my early life. <laughs> You're an yeah, early voice. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I feel that's a privilege to have been part of your career <laughs> in that way. You know, uh, actually, if anybody has them videos and want to put them on YouTube, like the ninety-eight, 90, well, ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-eight, and ninety-nine. 99, 2000, 2000, 2001, and Super Kev's Hot 100. Mm. Feel free to put them on YouTube and I'll watch them and share them because I don't have a video player anymore. I've got the videos, I just don't have the video player. <laughs> yeah, so. you've got the right idea asking on this podcast too. I mean, do you remember a few weeks back when Gav asked for Premier Pressures and then yeah. <laughs> given a week in this really sort of niche um, uh, programme on Sky Sports was just on YouTube thanks to yeah, sort of as- asking everyone cross the northeast for it you eventually found someone yeah I'm sure people will get them season reviews up yeah, I'm excellent. sure they will so what are the the biggest highs and the lowest lows covering uh, we'll say Sunderland and then we'll do northeast sport but covering Sunderland what's the the lowest point is this the lowest point yeah it is it is the lowest point I was not covering the club last time they fell this low um, it's awful it shouldn't be this way I think the same way probably you guys think and that a lot of your other guests will have thought that it, it was like a slow motion car crash really for the last two years. And, you know, to go a bit David Brent, it was fail to plan, prepare to fail, you know, and then all that sort of stuff. No, Nobody ever had a plan. Ellis Short, you guys have said so much about him. I agree with just about everything that you did say about him. Um, he came in with the best intentions, I do believe that, but he lost interest at a crucial time. And I'm afraid it was not just one accident, but a series of accidents that were waiting to happen, putting his trust in the wrong people. The continual merry-go-round of, of managers and every manager churning mm. out new signings and not knowing what they were doing with the contracts and spending too much money on the wrong people and throwing money at average footballers. Eventually, it was going to come back and bite them. But it's just been so sad to see. And as I get sort of on a bit and venerable in years, I also ju- I just like stuff to be fun. I like it to be enjoyable. And it's been an absolute chore to cover Sunderland for the last two or three seasons. The home games especially, the home record's been awful. I'm not going to go on forever, by the way, because <laughs> y- you've done this one so much time before. Yeah, it is the lowest point, but equally, you've got Stuart Donald coming back in here later this week. 
the mood has turned perceptibly since the new ownership has come in. And it does give you at least a little bit of hope that there will be a change of direction. And what about highs? Well, highs, I think you, you sort of mentioned it talking about the season reviews. I mean, strangely enough, the sort of masochistic part of me, I suppose, that the playoff final year was still an amazing year. And in some respects, I think Sunderland played better football that year than I've ever seen them play. And even though they went and romped the league the following season, there was something about that season, Mickey Gray and Magic Johnson up the left and that kind of thing, which was absolutely fantastic. And that little block of three, four years where they went on another two seventh place finishes with Reedy, it was absolutely magnificent. Quinn and Phillips, there were some great, great characters in the team. I'm not that old that I'll say, oh, there aren't any characters in football anymore, but there were some top, top blokes in that team. It was a pleasure to cover them. They were thrilling to watch because they played in a way kind of old fashioned football, but they played it wholeheartedly. At the time, the crowd, the stadium was fully on their side and it was brilliant, brilliant to be a part of. That was my high point covering them, certainly. And we'll expand that to North East football. What would you say is the, the lowest of North East? Would it actually still be Sunderland right now? I think you kind of think of what's happening at the moment, don't you? It's hard to think of anything that's that much worse, to be perfectly honest, yeah. because Middlesbrough and Newcastle have dropped out of the top flight and that kind of thing, but they've never dropped this low. It's never been so badly run that you actually fear for the the life and soul of the club going forward. So, never that bad. The constant back and forth with Mike Ashley is wearing at Mm. Newcastle, but, you know, in some respects, he knows what he's doing financially. They're never going to get anywhere while he is owner. When I say they're never going to get anywhere, they're never going to get any further than they are at this point while he's owner. Um, Little things have made me sad. Things like seeing Darlington pretty much disappear and then have to be reborn again and that kind of thing. I think back to times where... We'd have three teams in the Premier League in the North East and we'd have three teams in the Football League as well. And now it's one team in the Premier League and two teams in the Football League. And the sort of contracting of that great bubble of North East football, that makes me a bit sad. But, you know, there you go. It happens. What about... Highs, you know, Newcastle's been what Champions League, Borough, UEFA Cup final, yeah, League Cup win, Sunderland League Cup final as well. I'm sure they were all. Oh, hey, look, there's been some absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, Sunderland's recent League Cup final was a strange experience in that I found it an utterly compelling match and a brilliant, brilliant weekend. And I thought the whole of the city of Sunderland came off so well out of it, yeah. but of course. Sunderland didn't win the cup. <laughs> I, I thought they played absolutely brilliantly, and, and sort of in in hindsight, an hour after the match, and in hindsight now, I don't see how they could have done much more in the ninety minutes on the pitch that day. Um, when you talk about other cup finals, yes, it was actually great to see a team that I was covering win something. So I'll always remember Borough winning the League Cup. It was actually at the Millennium Stadium yeah, when they beat Bolton. Bolton. And it was just nice to see the team you're covering actually go up and pick up a trophy. UEFA Cup final a couple of years later. That 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 was great, even though they absolutely got their backside handed to them. And look, I'll be perfectly honest with you as well, there's there've been some great memories up the road at Newcastle. None more, though, so than I was there the night Espria scored a hat-trick against Barcelona. I was sat next to Bob Moncur in the press box. <laughs> I always remember that because sort of involuntarily when the hat-trick goal went in and they're 3-0 up against Barcelona, most people in the press box, which doesn't often happen, just got up because it's like, what's going on here? It was just, it was an unbelievable night. Been very lucky with a lot of memories like that. I've had stuff away from football as well, some great stuff. Durham cricket and the Falcons a couple of times as well. It's been some brilliant stuff. As I say, great job. Yeah, sounds like the the dream job. To be fair, especially if you're a northeast guy, like covering northeast football. Yeah, exactly. I've lived up here all my life, so it is. It is. Um, you know, like a pig in what's it really? So yeah. every weekend, are you at a game? Like, are you always at Sunderland Newcastle Borough? I would say about 
eight, nine out of ten. I mean, I've got a, a young family as well, so yeah. there's times where you need to be at home and, and spend a bit of time with them. But yeah, I, I, I do get about as much as I can. Um, I love going to football. I love going to sporting events. Football, especially football, is my number one. Yeah, fair enough. And do you ever get to the non-league scene? Ever cover like? I mean, I'm a Blythe Spartans fan. I've got to throw that out there. Do you ever go down to Croft Park? Uh, I haven't been to Croft Park for a couple of years. Uh, in recent times, cup runs. Uh, it is cup runs. It does yeah. think it tends to be like little headline grabbers on the non-league scene. Done quite a bit with South Shields over yeah, the last few years. To, this year, I again another thing to make me feel old. I attended my tenth consecutive non-league finals day at Wembley because for oh. ten years in a row, there's been a northeast team in the Vars final. I think about four or five of those years has been one of the trophy final as well. Used to be spread over a weekend, which was a little bit more fun because you could go on the drink in London on the night nice. in between. <laughs> Expensive though. Well, we've had yeah. ten northeast teams in the row in a row in that final. Um, it's actually more than ten because uh, one year I suppose there's been eleven at Wembley because mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, West Auckland played Dunstan one year. Mm. Uh, West Auckland, bless them, have actually been twice during that time have lost both. Once was against Dunstan, once was against another team. Right. Whose name actually slips my mind just <laughs> at the moment? But yeah, well, if you've been I've, to that many, I suppose one of them's bound to slip your mind, aren't they? <laughs> a little bit. I've been mostly good, although I suppose I must apologise this year to Stockton Town because they lost, but my record is eight wins and two defeats in the Vars over the last ten years, so I haven't been too bad. Yeah, that's, that's a good record. Well, shame it doesn't pass over to Sunderland, like, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to move on now. Obviously, there was a big uh, football match last night. I'm sure we all saw, heard, felt the uh, floor moving when the goals went in. England defeated Tunisia 2-1. Um, Alex, how, how did you see the game? Um, well, I think I'm probably going to be in the majority of England fans when I say that the first half was looked like something akin to a New England. You know, we saw a lot more sort of energy and just creativity. And despite the fact that we were once again facing a team that were content just to sit back and soak up our pressure in the hopes that we just get frustrated and stop, we sort of we got our first goal and we just kept going. We stayed lively, we stayed creative. And I think if we'd kept the trajectory of the first half, we would probably have gone on to win 3 or 4 nil, in my opinion. But then... The penalty went in, I think, against, you know, we, we once again got a really bad rub of the green, as England so often do in these tournaments. And suddenly we just went back to our old frustrating selves for the next 40 minutes of the second half. And I think, um, once again, I'm, I'm going to be in the majority of England fans when I expected to see England just grind out a 1-1 draw, you know, that they didn't deserve. And then we'd be utterly just infuriated by and then expect very little else going into the tournament you know it's one of those things where you know you as an England fan you start very optimistically and then a, you get sort of like a, a, a result that doesn't quite go our way for reasons really out of our control and then suddenly the enthusiasm's gone and I feel like that's the road we were heading on but you know Harry Kane pops up in the 91st minute I believe nods, nods in, in out time yep. You almost get a bit emotional there, Alex. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. talking about it. Yeah, it's I, as, 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 yeah well, as a single tear rolls down my face as I ponder how quickly the World Cup will be arriving home upon our shores. But no, yeah, so Harry Kane pops up in the 91st minute unmarked, nods in the back of the net, and all of our frustration is ultimately rewarded. And how important was that? 
I, I, I fully concur with just about everything you said, but yeah. how important was it that that goal went in? Because you're right, because it was here we go again. Mm. And then the, the entire so national mood swung on yeah. a header from inside the six-yard box in the 91st minute. Because okay. if that was a 1-1 draw, it was every single 1-1 draw that England have had mm, yeah. in their first tournament game over the last 15, 16 yeah. years. But because it wasn't, because they've won, because if you look round the World Cup, Hardly anyone's actually won their first match, anyone who's supposed to be a contender. So, in some ways, I think it was the best possible outcome for England last night. They won, you get the emotional uplift of a late goal, but no one's going to get carried away because there's a checklist of about five things that you can improve on. And in some ways, from the managerial point of view, that's brilliant. You think, well, you take the points, you put them in your back pocket, but there's four or five very obvious areas that you can improve on. And the biggest one, because it, it was just so obvious, wasn't it? First half good, second half bad, really. Yeah, essentially. But it, it is very interesting that, as you say, that if that game was to end 1-1, it would be like every other 1-1 or another draw of the like that England have experienced on on, on a, a tournament of that calibre. And that's that's entirely true, but that's... I don't think for a second, really, that while England were frustrated in the second half for large portions of it, I don't think they played badly at all. I mean, I think they're far from being, you know, an, an immaculate, you know, cert to reach the finals team in this tournament. But if we were to... If we were to draw 1-1, despite the fact we did play well and did ultimately just get frustrated and a bad rub of the green, you know, the, the entire nation today would be in a, a, a much much of a different mood than they are now you know we would be sort of saying that oh you know Southgate's not the right character you know Harry Kane's not the best captain you know that and it's not it wouldn't be fair it wouldn't no it wouldn't be fair be on the backs and we're on the backs as soon as everything doesn't go swimmingly and really we should be proud of the team regardless of the result just based on how they played but the fact that we've won suddenly makes us a lot more optimistic going into the next games, and suddenly we do feel like this England team's a lot better than what they are. If they drew one-one, we'd be treating it just as the one-one when we drew with the you know with the US in twenty ten with you know the, the nil the subsequent nil with Algeria 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 not a country Algeria however yeah Algeria in North Africa flanked by Egypt and Tunisia is a country so we'll go with that yeah. <laughs> okay the good geography so how did we see you know refereeing last night was a huge totem point first penalty Kyle Walker I would say stupid he's defensively even I know and I'm not a very good footballer don't face your goalkeeper when a ball's coming in the box that just no. seems idiotic throw his arm out the Tunisian's always going to put his head towards the arm that's what happened referee gives a penalty harsh but fair I don't know Kind I don't think of, it was fair. Kind personally. of. Um, I thought the analysis, uh, obviously, I work for ITV, but like everyone else, I was watching the BBC last night. <laughs> Rio Ferdinand was good about that. He, he said exactly what you've said there, Connor. That yes, that's ba- from. <laughs> yeah, basically, his body position was all wrong. He, he was doing the wrong thing because he's not really used to being centre-back centre or one of three, that kind of thing. I thought it was soft, but I think the referee was probably just about entitled to give a penalty. Um but then you know all's well that ends well I suppose but if that penalty so say the referee didn't give yeah. it VAR wouldn't have pulled that back would the VAR would have went no so that's the, the interesting debate now you've got like that middle ground of yeah. what could or couldn't be which means VAR is useless and then you've got a dead third penalty definitely not a penalty and that middle ground's now sort of blurred as to the referee's interpretation yeah. which we then saw later on two penalty appeals on Harry Kane what yeah. do we think of that well just actually to go back to something you've just said there which I I've just thought now is quite interesting, really, is um, uh, while I personally don't agree with the referee at all, and while I do agree with you that had 
VAR be the one to adjudicate, they would have just seen that and thought, no, there's nothing there. I think, really, we have to sort of trust in the referees to just keep making decisions while VAR's still a thing. Because if we depend on VAR ultimately to make these decisions, you know, how how obsolete really is the referee in those crucial decisions? You know what I mean? If they're really just sort of a sort of like a, a figurehead of, you know, on the pitch adjudication, then what's and while VAR's making the decisions sort of, you know, like in you know, behind behind closed doors, away from the game itself. What's really the point of the referee? Yeah, I don't and think we, anybody. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants to do away with them, do they? But no, no, no. It, but it does. What's to me is still a grey area. Is like the precise, you know, like the the offside law written down. Yeah. You know the words. What is the actual rule on VAR? What does it do? Does mm. it does it just flag up things the referee haven't hasn't seen. Yeah. Does it is it involved when teams question decisions the referees make? Where is the line drawn? I, I'm I'm not entirely clear about that. And I'm sure there is a law written down somewhere, but I get the impression that a lot of the officials are not entirely clear about that as well. And I just think it's the whole thing is a bit of a grey area at the moment. In some respects we should probably welcome the idea of technology getting decisions right. I, what I don't think they've got right is the sort of the method it's used in. No, minute. it's almost as if we don't know how, we don't know how to say where does the referee start and the VAR begin when it comes to decisions. Yeah, that's it. I agree with that. It's, Absolutely. It's interesting. I've spoke to, oh, and his name's totally went. It was, anyway, I spoke to the person who ran the MLS VAR, so he brought it in over there. And he said that the, the main issues with VAR is refereeing is actually subjective. Certain things you may think are foul, but I don't think are foul. And that doesn't mean you're right or wrong, which means that VAR fundamentally actually can't really work in like a lot of senses. There's certain things like where did a foul take place? VAR can work for that because you can determine that the foul took place there. But deciding if I fouled you with a slide tackle, that is subjective. You might think it's excessive force. I might not, which sort of, you know, creates the problems we had last night where we can all sit here and be like, well, Kyle Walker is unlucky. Letter of the law, is it a penalty? We're not quite sure. Then you've got the Harry Kane one, which, to be honest, was a blatant penalty. I don't know how they didn't give that one, but it's just subjective decisions. Well, if that's the case, do you think, then what what exactly, what instances in particular would you say are subjective ones? I'm interested to know. I'm not really... A subjective decision is any form of foul, so... Yeah, but like, what are the what are the sort of like the the mitigating circumstances of a subjective decision? Look at, um, did you see Portugal Spain? Yes. Uh, just, I would say the Ronaldo penalty decision was subjective, because it was a pretty daft lunge from the Spanish defender, but the replays proved that Ronaldo was going over before there was any sort of contact mm-hmm. whatsoever. Yeah. So you could say that's subjective. Mm. Does the referee think that that's gamesmanship, or does he judge that? The, the tackle was enough of a foul tackle that it was going to cause the player to fall, therefore it's a penalty. Right. So, so it's it, almost as if, you know, is the is the challenge overdetermined or, you know, is it the case that it's irrelevant, really? I, I mean, I, I don't really think I'm, I'm articulating that right, but I think it's, it's sort of a case where does the challenge matter if the player was going down regardless? Is that... Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, which is more important. The fact, you know, chicken and egg, basically. Do, do you make the decision based on the severity of the challenge or do you make the decision based on the fact that you think that the player had decided he was going to go down anyway? Right. So there it becomes a bit subjective, doesn't it? Yeah. But the thing is with football, <clears throat> because of the way the laws are written, virtually every decision that's made is actually subjective. Now, we might all agree with a certain decision or not agree with another one, but... Mm. 
it is all interpretation because that's why we all go down to the pub and you, you go there, you have that conversation. Oh, that was a blatant penalty. And then you've got the opposition team next year. That, no, it wasn't. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't. And that's exactly the point. There's no decisions in football really that are concrete beyond where did the foul take place? I suppose handballs maybe could be one of them where you, you could see that. But did the ball go out of play? Did the ball cross the line? They're the only decisions that you can categorically say are correct or wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which I think is the issue with VAR which nobody I don't think seems to be talking about is the fact that everything is sort of subjective in football there isn't a written you know it's not like we're talking basketball where it's like a no contact so if somebody does contact then it's a foul like in football you are allowed contact which brings that sort of cloud of disser- uncertainty Discertainty. Yeah, VAR can only analyse the the objective facts of that which is visually present which well, the, the issue with the VAR is yeah. it brings in them subjective decisions, which is why last night we we'll say you know they didn't bring back the Harry Kane, but yet in the previous game, I think it was Sweden got a penalty. Yeah, that... I, I, I couldn't get the Harry Kane one at all. Now, yeah, undoubtedly penalty. We're all going to say it's penalty. Of course, it was penalty. Yeah. But what got me, and I'll just point out, I'm not for one second saying anything about the propriety of the referee, but he was he was telling the players in there don't do this mm. before it happened. So did he then just turn his head and not watch it? I don't know. Because that which he was telling the players not to do, they then did five seconds later. So presumably at that point, you blow your whistle and points to the penalty spot. But he didn't. So he either wasn't watching or he, I don't know, didn't have the nerve to give a penalty in that situation. Yeah, it was... It was they spent all... Tunisia did spend a lot of the game sort of holding, but they got a... I suppose they got away with that. I don't know, maybe they've researched the referee and know that he doesn't give them. It's just an interesting point. I think VAR, despite the fact England won, we're all still sort of frustrated with the decisions. Alex putting your hand yeah. forward. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. It's like a weird like, gesture I do when I need to sort of jump in with <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I've been working at a primary school part-time, so maybe that's like rubbing off on me. <laughs> those, old, those old techniques to sort of yeah. like, wait in your turn, yeah. But yeah, no, it's... I do get what you mean. Maybe it is sort of like a nerve thing on the referee's part. Maybe, you know, the, I'd imagine there is a certain sort of bottle you would need to give two penalties in fairly quick succession. But then equally, if one particular type of challenge in this game is judged to be worthy of a penalty, then equally another challenge of a similar calibre must be the same. You know, if, if if you give a penalty for that decision, then you set a precedent for the rest of the game, don't you? Everything else following that, that is of an equal severity, must also be a penalty. So I think really, you know, if you don't have the bottle to ultimately give out a penalty whenever you deem it worthy, then you shouldn't be making such a rash decision in the first place. But then that comes back to, obviously, you know, the sort of dubiousness of that first decision. I were a, a betting man, I, I would suggest that that referee ain't going to be refereeing the final. No. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he was particularly good. I don't yeah. think he was particularly strong. But I do actually think that... It was a good night for England. Yeah. I thought they were really good in the first half. They did the old England thing of finding a way not to be leading at half time. Mm. <laughs> but they were they were great. They were they played really yeah. well. And it, it was, it's almost like sort of watching a kids' team because they're all so mm. young and that's oh, aren't they doing well? Yeah. They're really trying. <laughs> it's a lot more wholesome yeah, watching a younger England is. team. Yeah. And it really did feel like that. And they were good. I mean they couldn't hit a barn door, really, oh, apart yeah. from Harry Kane, and that was a problem. But maybe that'll get better. But it was encouraging, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think so sort of moving towards sort of team selections I mean does Raheem Sterling play the next game he seemed to be the one player who it didn't seem to work for all night and then they brought Rashford on he seemed to have a, a greater impact would would Rashford get the nod in the next game or do we stick with Sterling I wouldn't change it at this point um, I think the Panama thing is going to be interesting um, 
I don't think Belgium played very well against Panama no, and they won shopping. 3-0. So I would expect England to win that game. You would hope Raheem Sterling, would, if he plays, would score because that would obviously, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of take a bit of pressure off his shoulders. But look at what they did through the season. I know Rashford's a sort of really exciting player to watch and it, it sort of lifts a stadium when he comes on off the bench and that kind of thing. And he can score goals like that one against Costa Rica in the friendly. But Sterling had a, had a brilliant season for the champions and scored loads of goals, loads of goals, and set loads of goals up as well. Um, and this just seems to be something about his media profile that people always look to get on his back. He didn't have a good game. Even when England were playing well, he he didn't play well last night. But surely he's earned a little bit of leeway with his performances for club over the last 12 months. I, I certainly wouldn't put him out of the team yet. I would actually change... Um, I would put Danny Rose in um, if he's fit enough. Mm-hmm. I, I realise his fitness has been a bit of an issue sort of that's been bubbling underneath. There's been some concerns with yeah. his mental health, haven't they, which will obviously be a contributing factor. Absolutely. And, and everybody wants Danny to, to be right and proper in mind, body and soul. Absolutely. Also... He kind of lost his place a bit for, and lost his way a bit at Spurs and didn't play an awful lot of games last season. So there might be an element of match fitness too. I just prefer, if you're playing wing-back, wing-backs, I prefer the wing-backs to, you know, left-footer on the left-hand side, right-footer on the right-hand side. Hmm. I would prefer that. I think it would just give them a bit more natural width. That would be the only change I would make against Panama. Um, when you go further forward, um, I do think you might have to think of two defensive midfielders against Belgium and then subsequently the better teams because... They're still a bit wide open when teams run at them and that wasn't a very good attacking team last night. Yeah. I think if we were to set up as a more defensively oriented unit and then have impact subs in the likes of Vardy and Sterling winning in the wings, then I think that would be a very good formula for taking on the bigger teams as the tournament progresses. Mm -hmm. I think the likes of Belgium will be sort of very... I mean, like, as you say, they didn't play very well, and but yet still they were relenting enough to beat Panama 3-0. Now, Panama aren't a great team, but clearly there's a, there's a lot of attacking potential there. And you would imagine that, I think we spoke last week, that Belgium hadn't had a very good time of it coming into the tournament, but that game will have probably settled the nerves. So I'd imagine by the time we play them in the final game that they will be a, a better outfit. They'll be a lot more a lot more fledged, a lot more sort of fluent when they're playing. So I, I think maybe, but Belgium to me just looked like the... They don't know how to play together. Just you watch them, and they're, they're England's golden generation. Yeah, they are. This is exactly it. They're, they're, I think they're actually almost With the same worse. fundamental flaws. As yeah, but golden generation. At least they, that generation, though. I mean, we got to a couple of quarterfinals with them, but Belgium to me just looked disjointed. You know, Kevin De Bruyne yesterday did so many loose passes in the first half, and I'm like, well, that's not him. You know, I watch him every week in the Premier League, and he he never hits a bad pass, and he was over hitting them, under hitting them, and they just looked a bit lethargic and I just wonder if that team is mentally capable of, of doing well in a, a competition like this mm. I think though a team of talented individuals that don't necessarily play well as a team will obviously be disjointed but that doesn't detract from the individualism that still is there you yeah. know I mean Portugal aren't a great team but as, as they showed yeah, against I, Spain I think that's they, different yeah, but Portugal they, yeah, are a good team but they've got one I, superstar I mean they are yeah but they can just sort of you know allow themselves to as a unit, not be as good as Spain, but then they have the individualism of Ronaldo and mm. just pop up every now and then to get them back in the game. But I think that's the fundamental difference because Portugal know that their star man is Ronaldo and everything is geared around him, whereas Belgium have just got so many players that I just don't think know how to play together. Which... I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that, but I think with Belgium, that could potentially be an advantage 
that sees them be a better unit than Portugal. I mean, as you say, you know, they don't look like a team when they play together, but they can play together just as well enough and then allow one of the individuals who is in their element, in their better part of the pitch, to just pop up and do something great. You know, I think that's where the threat will come against England. You know, they'll be... There might not be a a well-versed team as the are in their current incarnation but there's still plenty of talent in that squad where you know if, if if Kevin De Bruyne or whoever is in a good position you know they can you know make a team pay if they aren't set up properly so if we if we sort of stay as the unit we are and we defend for the majority of the game you know or, or we just set up in a more defensive way for the majority of the game then come at them as the game ticks on you know with two let's say two impact subs at once to late in the game when they're starting to tire I think that is probably your best bet of getting a good result against Belgium, ideally a win. What about the quality of the World Cup? So Belgium's an example of it. All the the big teams just seem to be fluffing the lines. I don't know, Simon. No, you... it's it, it's it's odd, isn't it? I'm really enjoying it. I always enjoy World Cups. There is there is something pure and not money orientated about World Cups, and you enjoy seeing I, the shots of the fans in the stadiums yeah. and that sort of thing. It's great. Yeah. There, there is something really nice about it. Um, Portugal Spain was an absolute worldy game, yeah. and it oh. was it was Friday night. I was at home. I could have a drink. Mm-hmm. That, was it Friday night or was it yeah, Saturday? It was, night? Uh, Friday it night. Friday, that was it. Yeah. yeah, and that that's. I mean, that was just absolutely brilliant. I also really enjoyed. Quite enjoyed the England game, but I, I really enjoyed Germany Mexico as well. It was a good contest. part of the reason I enjoyed it was because Germany were absolutely <laughs> all over the place, which I, I really wasn't expecting at all. Um, the the kind of most disappointing so far. I don't know. I thought Argentina were awful in their yeah. game. Brazil were just funnying about too much. Brazil started really well, didn't they? The yeah. first half an hour, they were brilliant, and then they just they were sort of like they, England they just last got night. Yeah, yeah, they just went a bit Harlem Globetrotters, didn't yeah. they? <laughs> that kind of thing, and it, it just didn't kind of work out for them. The, I don't think that there's an, an outstanding team in the tournament. I don't think there's an outstanding t- international team in world football at the moment. So I think it's kind of wide open, but equally. You wouldn't rule out Germany being in the final winning it again just because they've lost the first match. You wouldn't rule out Argentina because they've got Lionel Messi. You wouldn't rule out Brazil because they're Brazil and they've got Neymar and they've got Coutinho. But Neymar's actually injured. Was he injured? Well, let's say in a day he's picked up an angle injury in training. No. Spain famously lost 1-0 to Switzerland, I believe, in the 2010 World Cup and they went on to win the tournament. So there's always that. I I would like to see Germany have the tournament equivalent of second season syndrome it'd be great wouldn't it yeah I mean I'll, I'll be phenomenal yeah I mean there's, yeah. there's loads there's loads of teams who do it they win a tournament and the next year they don't get out of the groups you know it's not. Been, the last three in the row have actually done that so. exactly you know we can we can plot Germany's course out of the tournament at this stage because who have they got next have they got Sweden, Sweden or South Korea next I think Sweden, Sweden, Sweden next. next because that is not easy no and if they if they don't win that game it's probably possible for them not to get through with four points isn't yeah. it I think four points is quite a a limboy sum, isn't it? You're really lucky to get through with yeah. four. Five, yeah. I think you're normally all right because yeah. that means you've drew with two teams as well. But yeah. four, generally, you'd have to go through on like all difference. It would be great. Look, I know all <laughs> old biases and, and, and that sort of thing aside, it'd be great to see oh, yeah. Germany flunk one once, wouldn't it? But it that really would be. It helps our projection because I think we were set to meet Germany, I think, in the quarterfinals. So obviously, yeah. if Germany yeah. go out, we win our group, then it means that we're going to inevitably have an easier run. Mm. So, have you got, are you any more on the bandwagon now the football coming home bandwagon uh, I was on it from day one I've, I've never <laughs> followed not once My, my the, the wheels of my bandwagon are, are just are engineered with absolute titanium you know they're, they're going nowhere at one our generation have that Italia 90 we, we've never had that we got close I mean we got the quarterfinals against Brazil and I think 
I don't know if you remember Alex, but I remember uh, the wait, wait, school what, what, putting what, what, on what the telly. Sorry. 2002. Oh, I, yeah, that's like one of my earliest football memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> So yeah. the school let me off and stuff to watch. Uh, we'll get beat off Brazil. <laughs> yeah. But we need that sort of moment, I think, our generation, because I think our generation's almost um, a bit uh, disjointed. Our feelings towards England aren't yeah. like as good as what the older generations yeah, is because we've never had that you're, moment. You haven't had the moment. I, re- I remember them. Um, 1990 had a massive effect on me just growing up and cemented my love of football. Absolutely. It was a really brilliant Mm -hmm. moment for English football. Um, The 2002 one I remember as well. The weird thing about that, if you remember, you guys obviously would have been really, really young. Um, You might have been up because you were really, really young. But the the games were like kicking off at six in the morning and that. So I was of an age where I was turning out the pub (laughs) at quarter six. I had the day off work, I remember, for the Brazil quarterfinal. They're one up at half time. I'm probably a couple of pints in. And then you sort of panic drink a bit in the second half when you go 2-1 down. Match is over. You're out of the World Cup. And it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what, what do you do with the rest of the day? Yeah, you're at right. that point? You do have to start at that point, doesn't it? Yeah. It's meant to. But... Yeah, well, I know. I, I remember we pushed on through and we ended up in town uh, at about 11, 12. And obviously the day Peter's out at like 1 p.m., 2 p.m. But what a strange day it was. Yeah. It, it, was it was It was good. There was the Euros where Rooney burst on the scene that was quite good. I think that was 2004. And after that, it's a footballing desert internationally. I think, I think we got the quarters at... In all six, didn't we? We did, but it was awful. It was yeah. plodding. It was. It was. That was the one where Rooney had his metatarsal injury. Yeah. You know, he turned up for the second game. Did Owen do his knee? Uh, that yep, one? that one as well. And then Ronaldo got Rooney sent off uh, in the quarterfinal, and it was horrible. Yeah, really... we just we just don't speak about all six, do we? It was just, yeah, it was just it was drab. That was another shouting at the telly in the pub day yeah. as well. That. Oh yeah, I'm, so, I'm not too proud to say that. If, if England yeah. do get the final, where, where do you think you'll watch it? Really don't know, to be perfectly honest. I, I would like to be somewhere with good friends, having a drink, watching it in a pub. But on the other hand, I watched it with my family last night and I quite enjoyed that. So I would I would wait and see the time and the circumstance and stuff like that. But um, it's not going to happen, is it? No. <laughs> Alec, where would you watch it? Well, I'd like to be somewhere where I can be at my most English, uh, preferably my local Green King pub. You know, very St Edmunds, that that brand of pub. You know, with my my calling from Burton upon Trent, draped in both my England shirt and England flag. Brexit, the hymn oh, Jerusalem yeah. on repeat. In oh, the pub, of course, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, every yeah. single anthem from every single tournament we've ever had will be on repeat. <laughs> Put Brexit on your forehead. Uh, Who do you think is going to win it? <laughs> Obviously, you think England. Yeah. Have you have you got a second team if England well, don't get it? Well, I I've thought for a while now that France were going to win it. And, you know, while they didn't look like the best team in the world against Australia, you know, and there's been no teams so far that have really looked particularly impressive. So, yeah, I'm still going to go with them. I think France have got a really, really good blend of youth and experience. I think that team could be as, as good as it's getting for a long time. So I think if they, you know, France, much like us, aren't the most successful team on international stages. but Apart from the World Cup and the Euros that they won. Well, I mean, yeah. that, uh, well, they, well, they lost the Euros to Portugal. I mean, the last one, and they, they've only won one World Cup. You know that they're all like us. Really. Oh, the same one World. Yeah. They've got one Euro though. They do yeah, have yeah, a European. It's less than fifty-two years of hurt, though. No, that, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, but but, but the, you know the, the jewels remain still gleaming. But we'll, we'll get at that. You know that's that's all. That's, Who do you think is going? Uh, I initially had Brazil beating Germany in the final in a rematch, but now Brazil, if they've lost Neymar and stuff, I, 
I kind of say if they don't. But then again, if they lose Neymar, it might be a blessing because then they'll play Firmino up front and that might work better because Coutinho and Firmino will be playing again. I'll stick with Brazil. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going with Brazil. <laughs> Imagine if we didn't face Brazil or Germany in the quarters. I think if if that happens, we win the tournament. If neither of those <laughs> progress, we're, we're going all the way. Oh, I mean, if there's a way it can be Tunisia in the final, then oh. I'm, I'm behind England. But um, yeah, and, and I'm also behind Tunisia up until that moment as well. You know, but I enjoyed it. I just I, I, it was nice to see them play at least part of a good game of football last night. Mm. I also thought Harry Kane's finish for the second goal was underrated. Yeah, that was, was a good, hard it? finish. Yeah. Like, be, yeah, it was it was so like precise. I mean, he was unmarked, but you know, yeah, he, had, sort of he, he had to get that, you know, like he had to get that right with just pinpoint accuracy, and he did just that, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Right. If it was if it was just you know a bit if it veered to the right, you know, the, the the keeper sees it and just gets a palm to it, and it's. We're going to move on to talking a wee bit Sunland. I think unless anybody else has got anything to say about the World Cup. No, no it's fine, Sunland. So Stuart Donald is on the podcast on Thursday, which of course we are all very excited about. Even Simon's excited, aren't you? Absolutely. I really enjoyed listening to the last one when he came in. And yeah, I'll be interested to see what he's got to say and how his enthusiasm levels are two, three, four weeks in. Yeah. Some good questions as well, wasn't there? Oh, absolutely. Perfect yeah. questions. And we've got the answer <laughs> to the big question, the biggest question of all, of course, the pink seats. Yeah. And he's 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 uh, made up on that promise. Oh, you might get the exclusive on that on the on the how it's going to happen. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm expecting to see everyone there. We'll all go down. You'll be there with your camera. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. We'll do a little bit of seat changing. I'll be useless at it. Like I can barely put up my gear furniture. So I don't know what you saw me putting up. A, I hope I get a seat. A, I hope I get to keep my pink seat. You know, I've sat in the same pink seat at the stadium for a good twelve years now. So do you want to keep your take us home? 100%, that would yeah. probably be a good idea, really, to see if you if you could take it home. I don't I don't see what they'll do with the seats. Yeah, they can just sit in the garage and gather dust, you know, just would as you I not wanted to. Use it as an office chair, install it. Yeah, could you not like have a... a glorious cathartic pink seat barbecue in the car park to Ooh. sort of burn down the remnants yeah. of old Sunderland? <laughs> so much nice pollution. Yeah, Phoenix, yeah, yeah. Phoenix from the flames. Yeah, yeah we'll turn it into Mills by then though. We don't want that. All <laughs> the smog. So anyway, we've got Stuart Donald on the podcast on Thursday. Uh, there's a few topics which I think we'll cover, which we'll probably cover with Stuart Donald as well. So we'll start off with Paddy McNair, £5 million. For me, that seems a bit low. Um, I think there might be something else to that deal. Maybe Grant Ledbetter. I, I don't have that any more than me just presuming. But for me, it just doesn't seem like the right deal. I don't know, Simon, do you think £5 million's fair? I think he's worth more than £5 million, But I think you appreciate that players tend to rightly or wrongly depreciate in value a bit when they're with clubs that have just been relegated um, in some respects if they're going to do the deal and if they can do the deal this week for five million then kind of okay I, I really 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 would have liked it if Paddy McNair had stayed with Sunderland for next season because he he would absolutely have ripped League One to oh. pieces he really would but the fact is he's probably at the age he's at, it's probably not really worth his while in his career to stay in League One. And look, I think he's always given what he can for Sunderland in terms of his heart and soul. I know he's been injured a lot and that kind of thing. I'm not saying anything about his character. I just think kind of, you know, if most people were honest with themselves, if you were Paddy McNair in this position, you'd probably take the move if it came, wouldn't you? Yeah. Do you think, I mean, the Premier League transfer window closes now just before the season starts. For me, that's a good negotiation tool for a team that, you know, it's maybe panic and going into that first time we've got that deadline and, you know, there might be a team, I'm not saying Newcastle, but I use it as an example, you know, they haven't got the players that they want, they need that centre midfielder, does that 
you know, you're tempted to keep them prized assets until that point so that you can sell them where that value is going to be maybe a little bit more where teams are panicking. Look at teams like West Ham have done it before. Well, virtually every Premier League team is panic bought on deadline day. I just wonder if keeping Paddy McNair until that point might be more... Do you think he's a player of a calibre that would allow us to do that? Do you think he sort of... But Premier League teams have already tried to get... There's two Premier League teams who have reportedly been after him. Well, we know that they've had bids rejected. So that there obviously is interest. I don't know if it's worth you trying to play for the extra few million. I'm not sure if it is worth the risk, but... I with him, t- maybe. With him, he's the only one that I would consider going down that route for. Yeah. I mean, the the older lags and the ones on the big contracts who, who basically have been a part of the institutional failure for years... You want those people out as soon as you can possibly manage it. With Paddy McNair, he's somebody who you could say, well, what if the window shut and, and you hadn't sold him? Then you haven't got the money in for that player, but then you've got the player, haven't you? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I just think if if he's been in, and I saw what he said when he was away on international duty, if he's let it be known that he doesn't really fancy it in League One with Sunderland, then it is probably best that they just get on with it. Do you think that's what's happened then? Do you think the, the club must have got wind cause that he was probably wanting to go? Because I think Stuart Donald actually said that he he wouldn't get rid of him until he handed in a transfer request. So there must have been some verbal, mm-hmm. I don't know, agreement or a verbal transfer request, whether he's put one in officially or not, I'm not sure. But I'd imagine so. It's. Well, I hope, I mean, having listened to your podcast, I hope that... that be it Stuart or Charlie Methven or Jack Ross, have managed to at least speak, be it face-to-face or more likely on the phone, to a lot of the players in the squad, had a chat with them, introduced themselves, said, this is what we want to do, do you want to be part of it? And then got a few answers as well. Obviously, subsequently seen what Stuart said about not many players. Just one, apparently, isn't it? (laughs) Well, just one. Again, I, I think I'll be interested to see what Mr Donald has got to say about that on Thursday because whether that's players or just players' representatives who yeah. you're talking to, I think that might be a sort of quite a fine line as to, as to who would say what. Um, but, you know, we'll wait and see. I thought that was an interesting approach because I'm not saying it's not true because I don't know reason to lie about it, but I just think it puts some of the players in a bit of an awkward position like George Honeyman, Lyndon Gooch, maybe the ones that, you know, the younger players, maybe he wasn't including them in that sort of the players who said they didn't want to stay like sort of creates this position where the fans are like well you didn't want to stay well you didn't want to stay and I, I don't know if that was the right move I think Honeyman and Gooch are in the bracket of fully fledged senior players now though aren't they I think if if we're, if if um, Donald comes out and says all but one want to leave then Gooch and Honeyman are part of the all and I think that's you know that's quite clear cut but Hasn't he actually, rather rather than actually saying they all want to leave, hasn't he just said only one of them said they want to stay? Yeah. And isn't that yeah. open to more interpretation? Perhaps in our that, interpretation in that, in that, was more negative. In that some of them just may not have said anything yet. Well, I think, yeah, I think our natural instinct is to say that every Sunderland player is a snake because yeah. <laughs> they've been horrendous <laughs> for us last year. Because we're just disposed to feeling negative. Yeah, so, I mean, it could be that. But it's interesting, the ones that I'm looking forward to see what happens are sort of dreading in some ways is you know Catmull is on like 36 grand a week they can't afford to keep him no but he's not going to have a suitor is he nobody's going to be looking at Lee Catmull going yeah we'll take him because he's just been painstakingly hopeless I think you're probably right Um, 
two years ago, yeah, no problem. People would have come in for him, even if he's not had a very good year. Even last summer, he might have found a way out of Sunderland if he'd wanted to. It is hard now. I get that. He, he, mm. He's not had the best two years of his career. It does look like physically he's struggling at times. Um, I don't know, though. People still put a lot of stall by experience. There might be say one of his old clubs, someone like a Wigan, if they could do some sort of deal, it would have to be a free transfer, obviously, because of wages yeah. and that sort of thing. Somebody in the championship might look at him and think we could do it that level of experience. Um, I think it would probably be in Lee's best interests and I think it would be in Sunderland's best interests if he wasn't about next season because I just think he's been here too long and he has, as many of them have, John O'Shea's obviously now left as well, become slightly associated with well not slightly let's be honest more yeah, than totally slightly <laughs> associated with a certain level of a culture of failure yeah. and so I think it would be better if he wasn't here but as you say I agree with you it's going to be quite a difficult deal on all sides to get it done do you think Catmull will leave what he's got I think 2021 his contract expires it's three years I think he's likely to leave a few million pound on the it's, table it's the leave. same thing it, it, it comes back basically to a sort of you know a smaller version of the Jack Rodwell argument doesn't yeah. it because would any of us sat here walk away from that sort of money um, I think a certain part of me if, if I was Jack Rodwell in this situation I think as nice as 70 grand a week is I think at a certain point I would be looking at myself in the mirror and thinking Am I a bad person here? You know, like uh, I'm, I'm bleeding a club dry, and by extension, I'm bleeding dry. Sort of the cultural centerpiece of an entire city. Do they you think know, of it I'm, in those terms, though? Well, I'd, I'd like them to, mm-hmm. but obviously, whether or not they sort of approach these things with the same degree of sensitivity as I would in the situation is a different story. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how he thinks. I think, I think, I think there's a slightly different side to the argument as well, which I don't know if, it, if it's often articulated. It's all very well, and I've just said it to say would. I would any of us walk away from that money, but I haven't earned ten million pounds in my career through playing yeah. football. Hmm. So it's easier for them to walk away, and it's not like they're going to walk away to nothing. They'll walk away to a deal at a different club that won't yeah. be on that that amount of wages. No, no. Um, they've got a lot more money in the bank than the average man or woman has. So it, it's a slightly different argument, but it's still. Hard to walk away from a contract like that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he had a chance to go to the MLS in January, and he, he turned that down. So was it not? Was it not somewhere in in Holland? Uh, no, he had a Holland, but he also yeah, Holland, had it. Holland was on the table briefly, and he he wasn't going to do that. Hmm. I have a feeling. Um, I heard a couple of things, but then it's gone quiet. So I, I absolutely don't know anything about this um, that anybody else doesn't know. I've just got a feeling he won't be there next season, one way or another. Jack Rodwell, I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't uh, know about Lee Catamol, but. Um, Jack Rodwell, I've got a feeling, won't be at Sunderland next season. No, I, I agree. I think they'll find a way of cutting them. I'm su- to be honest, I'm surprised when Ellis Short left, he said it was all about cutting them loose ends. I'm surprised that that wasn't maybe even part of the deal, just to get Rodwell out before they came in. I, th- I think the new the new owner and, and Charlie Methven as well have been so savvy about what is important to the fans. I think they'll recognise that the Rodwell issue is very important to the fans yeah. and I think it is something that they'll have been working on and they'll continue to work on until they get what they want. Yeah. Okay, moving on to a, a target. So I did talk about Grand Ledbetter very briefly. I mentioned him in the Paddy McNair section. So is Ledbetter a realistic target? B, a good target? But C, is it is it... Uh, I don't know. I mean, should we bring him back? I don't know. Well, he's a free agent now, isn't he? Like, no, he's got to get no, he's left. not. Is he he's not? not no. Oh, right. I was going to say, if he was, then I think it's almost a no-brainer. But that being said, I think even if he was to cost us money 
or was part of a deal in McNair, a deal from a deal for McNair in some shape or form. I think that for me is a great signing. You know, it, you, you know, you you want a character in the changing room. You want someone who can sort of become what is now hopefully a more positive winning culture. You know, he's a local lad. He's always been, you know, a, a fairly good player by football league standards in the championship. So I'd imagine that the step down to League One. You know, would allow him to be an even better player than he was before. You know, I think we've all got good memories of Ledbetter, haven't we? The goal against Arsenal, I yeah. still remember. I think, I think it was the week after his yeah. dad died as well. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. So I think in terms of both quality and sentiment, Ledbetter would be a good signing. Yeah, I, I think it would be a pretty good signing. Um, in some respects, the age profile goes against it a little mm. bit and the idea of, you know, never go back. But I appreciate it's such a different set of circumstances that he'd be walking into at Sunderland. Um, I think you would kind of need to have waved goodbye to the likes of Lee Catamole before someone yeah. like you'd get the best out of someone like Grant Ledbitter. Um, because I think you'd almost be bringing him into where the captain's arm bands. He's the, for me, there isn't a natural leader at the club anymore Catamull's not going to get the band and then after that you don't have a captain anymore mm-hmm. bringing Grant Ledbetter in would be somebody who straight away you could be like right you can have the captain oh, he surprised me because remembering him from his early stages of his career at Sunderland um, and then seeing him in more recent years at Borough he's actually become quite a good captain yeah. and I wouldn't have seen that in him at the early stage of his career but he has been quite a good captain he's so well respected by the people at Middlesbrough yeah I think I think it would be a if they could get it done, I mean, I heard it was going to be like a, a loan deal. So they were going to loan him to us for a year, cover part of his wage, and then we would get him on the free transfer, hopefully when we were in the championship. Well, it's one of those ironies, isn't it, that the sort of deal's not in your favour that Sunderland have been doing with other yeah. clubs for years. They might now get a yeah, couple of them back in, in, in that direction. Mm. You never know. Um, as far as signers in general, I, I, I thought we would probably have a couple of players through the door by now and... It's not happened. Fans are beginning to get frustrated. I know that my, my Twitter inbox is getting a wee bit full of people <laughs> like, when's a signing going to happen? As though I know when a signing's yeah. going to happen when I don't really. But the Connor in the no problem. Yeah, ITK. Um, <laughs> ITK. But when do you think the signings are going to happen? And, and is it frustrating at this point that there isn't anybody new in? I think there was like an expectation that they were going to come in and be like, right, we're going to bring in three or four players and it, it just hasn't quite materialised. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, I'm a little bit surprised. Worried, not exactly. I'm pretty sure, just on first impressions, that the key people who are now in charge of Sunderland Football Club absolutely know the severity of the situation that they're in as regards the squad. Therefore, if nothing's happened at this point, and I think we all kind of think stuff probably will happen possibly by the end of the week, then there'll be a good reason for it. I hope I'm a good enough judge of character <laughs> that I, I honestly think that there'll be there'll be a good reason for it. They can't quite get who they want. It, it, it's a sort of grey area for football. A lot of people are at the World Cup. A lot of agents are at the World Cup. A lot of people not at that level of football, which, let's be honest, is possibly the level that Sunderland are now looking at, are probably just getting back off the summer holidays as yeah. well and that kind of thing. There's, there's little structural things in there. A little bit disappointing. I wouldn't get absolutely, totally worried yet. There's a couple of weeks till pre-season training starts again. I, I think the new manager will certainly want four or five new faces in by then I would start to be a little bit worried if no one's gone and no one's in by the time they're back at pre-season training there's a little while yet and it I know everybody wants everything now and there has been that sort of wave of I think I'd definitely call it enthusiasm since the new ownership came in and you look I think this season ticket thing's absolutely remarkable but 
it's more important that they do it right rather than they do it yeah. quickly. So give them a chance. This is their first transfer window. It's their first summer. No one's kicked a ball yet. Give them a chance. See where it stands when they kick off. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue essentially is that because the task... The, the task of the overhaul Jack Ross has been given is really unlike any overhaul we've, seen, we've ever seen before. You know, it'll be, it'll be momentous compared to what we've had to do in the past and we thought cases like those would have been, you know, fairly ridiculous. So, you know, th- there obviously is, you know, there's a long summer ahead to do these deals but because the task's so big, people are just naturally and, you know, expectedly quite anxious just to get them done ASAP, as you say. But once we see three players go out this week and three come in, I think the nerves will die down rather quickly once we see that, you know, we can get through this rather quickly. And once we see some progress made while it's still only, you know, midway through June, we'll be fairly relieved and we'll be fairly confident that we can sort of shape up our squad ahead of next season. Yeah, absolutely. Sunderland have got an opportunity here with the new ownership to to really turn a corner. It's almost a clean slate. It's almost a blank sheet of paper. They've got a different sort of manager than the manager that they've had for the the last... 10 years since Roy Keane that kind of thing um, it's a real opportunity but it, there's no guarantees it's not going to be easy they've got to do it right they've said all the right things so now they've got to do the right things as well and I think there does have to be a degree of patience I know people are going to get worried I know the fixtures are going to come out later this week and that kind of thing and that'll concentrate minds even more if deals haven't been done by then but they're new to it they've got their own ideas they've seen what was wrong in the past they want to do it their way for now, let them do it their way. Yeah, no, I agree. I think two fans have got to also remember that Jack Ross had chances to go to other jobs and he chose to drop down into the League One when he could have took a championship job. Yeah. Obviously, the, there must be something there waiting for him. There must be a bit of a transfer key. Like, I, I wouldn't get quite concerned yet because he wouldn't have took this job if there wasn't assurances. No, we've been a poison chalice for so long and now suddenly we're attracting managers by you know, beating off competition from other clubs that are allegedly in better positions than us. So yeah. that, that has to count for a lot, really, you know. I don't know what's been said to Jack Ross to get him on board, but clearly it's been something very substantive. Well, it's still that thing, isn't it? It's still everybody who walks in there, every football person who walks into the stadium of light can see the potential of the place. And, you know, it's a, it's a great selling point for a club. It's been <laughs> not... The fact that nobody's ever realised the potential or nobody in the modern era, really, let's say, this generation has realised the potential doesn't seem to deter people from wanting no. to come and give it give it a shot. It's, you know, Excalibur in the stone. You want you want your go at pulling the sword out of the stone. <laughs> and I think people in football still can see that there is that sort of possibility of building something at Sunderland where there isn't at some other places. I think if you look at the times in my life, certainly, where it has nearly turned the other way. I think about like the Allardyce-Everton and Chelsea games and then even back to Peter Reid, the night we went up with Roy Keane and stuff. When the ground is rocking and everyone's pulling together as one, it's almost unstoppable. The issue is it's just it's never really happened enough or for a long enough time. And I think that's why people keep coming back to this job. That's why Chris Coleman kept talking about not wanting to be the one who missed out on turning the corner. Because if you did, you've got a formidable football club. Probably you're looking at a team that's going to be, you know, top eight consistently if you can get it right. And it's it's just doing it. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a lot of ifs. There's always, Sunderland have always been, when I've covered them, they've always been a football club that's got bad timing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they're a football club that's wasted money probably like no other over the last decade. And yet, if Peter Reid had had 1% of that money at the time he actually needed the money, yeah, who knows where they could have gone at that point. The Allardyce one, I'm of the camp that I wonder whether it's a slight red herring in that had he not left because of the left. England job, might he have left for other reasons? Yeah, because think... Sam, Sam liked a good war chest and, and that was all dying off a bit at that point. Wasn't yeah, it? I don't think he was going to stay, to be honest. Because there was rumours actually he was going to go before the England job even came up, wasn't there? Mm, so yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised. Um, I've got a, a question here that sort of I've seen a lot branded on Twitter about it. Should Stuart Donald be on Twitter? Is that good or bad? That's a really interesting question, I think. Um, I'll be interested to see if he's still on Twitter when Sunderland are a month into the season and, and they've started playing games. Um, I think it's quite refreshing at the moment. And I really love the fact that he's so open and honest about stuff and, you know, saying only one player said they want to stay and things like that. It's all really interesting stuff and everyone's, you know, checking his tweets and replies yeah. and, and every day and, and that kind of thing. Um <laughs> It won't surprise me if there comes a point where he wants to step back from it, either from it for a time or for permanently. What I would say is if he chooses to do that, I hope he still does stuff like come in here and sit with yeah. you guys. So there's still a line, a line of communication. Uh, I could understand if he starts getting abuse becomes a bit personal or anything like that, or if the worm slightly turns against him. I could understand if he wanted to come off social media. But as I say, I hope he keeps it open this particular line of communication and that sort of thing because I think it's it's so far stood him in very good stead yeah I think worst case scenario it'll be good while it lasts you know as you say I'd be very interested you know whether that's morbid curiosity or otherwise as to how we would sort of act on Twitter if let's say not that I'm think this would happen but let's say Jack Ross gets off to an abysmal start as Sunderland manager let's say it all just goes horribly wrong you know how active does Stuart stay you know does he is he is willing to respond to speculation as it would be now while everything's sort of fairly rosy well that's the thing you if you're on social media and you're active on social media then you're putting your head above the parapet aren't you and you're yeah. choosing to do so there may come a point where he just chooses not to hmm. yeah. I, I think it is interesting because i think about my own personal twitter account and obviously my twitter account is nowhere near as important as Stuart donald's but sometimes in the heat of the moment you might just tweet something stupid and he's human. We've all done it. Yeah, yeah that does exactly. It. So he could tweet something that he might feel particularly passionate about at the time, or and he might the next day be like, "Oh God, I shouldn't have tweeted that." But it's out there, and it's his tweets are going to be scrutinised. Ah, person, like you said, I go through his tweets every single day, his tweets and replies because it just makes sense to. I look at what he's liked because you see what he, he <laughs> he's seen and what he's necessarily agreeing with. But the thing is, you've got everyone's got that line almost of communication with him it's not necessarily direct but we can all see what he's putting on Twitter yeah. we can all see what he's putting out there which I just don't know how long you can do that for I don't know how it can work long term are you going to ask him that when he comes I'm going to ask him yeah. It, yeah, if it makes sense interested, interested yeah. to see what he says about that yeah because I think it's a shame because I think it is essentially probably a thousand knobheads <laughs> which is going to ruin it for everyone who's going to be tweeting them abuse and stuff and tweeting them all I mean I see people tweeting them all the time and he gets tagged in all the time yeah. Stuff, yeah. and I'm like you know it's soon enough that line of communication might close if people keep hammering it it's entirely possible that the thousand and first knobhead could be the one that causes human <laughs> the human nature he has to result in human error you know something 
gets tweeted or liked or retweeted that you know maybe wouldn't be the most you know prudent thing to retweet if that's the right word you know the most sort of the the most strategic thing to have on your social media and then next thing you know you might just be another man inside the high castle you mm-hmm. know as is fun while it lasts though common, isn't it? yeah well yeah exactly yeah. that's what I mean you know like it was if nothing else it'll be fun while it lasts but you know whatever he does with the social media I trust him implicitly that he'll do the right thing with it I just I've been impressed with him and Charlie Methven so yeah. far uh, just just on the basis that I, I mean I, I I sat and threw a few questions at him in the press comments just before he came in to speak to you guys on on the day took over on the Monday and we we didn't have much time with him at all yeah. I mean um but what I liked, I didn't need him. In fact, I didn't really even want him to have all the answers on day one. What I wanted him to do was kind of understand the problems. Mm-hmm. I didn't need a handful of solutions saying, oh, we're going to come in and do this, this, this and this. I just wanted some indication that between them, the two lads sat up there, understood the problems. And I left feeling that they did understand the problems. And Piss Take Party was always going to be a T-shirt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it's great. And I just love as well how quickly and how like rapidly, well, that, that, that does the same thing, how rapidly and how just sort of flatly he'll dismiss any sort of tabloid rumour coming out about the club. You know, like someone will say, Stuart, uh, you know, media source X is saying Y about you. You know, is that true? And he'll go yes or no. Mm-hmm. So you get, you know, he, he's not allowing sort of like the, the tabloid or what have you to sort of pollute the minds of the fans or to you know to divide them amongst themselves as to what's actually happening what they believe is actually happening he'll get everyone on the same page and he'll basically use that social media as a platform of putting us both on the same level you know mm-hmm. there's there's nothing imperial about this setup of of fan and club you know we're totally on the same page we're totally level everyone knows what's happening or you know we, we all we, well, at least we feel that way, don't we? You know, we all just seem to think exactly. We we all just seem to sort of believe that we know exactly what's happening with the club. There seems to be this complete transparency, and none of that could really happen without Stuart Donald's Twitter account. Mm. So for me, it's it's invaluable. It's really unique. I, I don't. I can't really think of anything that's happened like this with a club of our calibre. You know, I mean, well, all journalists hope he keeps keeps it going. Obviously, yeah. I mean, we, we all we all hope he keeps it yeah. going. I don't, also, just the other side of the coin, Sunderland, we all know, will be the biggest news in League One next season. Oh, They'll be, no matter what position they're in, no matter what the result is, Sunderland will be the big news story in League One all season long. But it is still League One. So, to an extent, for Stuart Donald, it, even if it's a great year, even if it's the year that every Sunderland fan hopes it's going to be, mm. there won't be that much national attention on it. So, the point I'm trying to make is that he he can almost make a few mistakes and get mm-hmm. away with them because there ain't going to be that much national spotlight on no. Sunderland for at least 12 months. And of course, I think everyone hopes that in 12 months' time there'll be a bit more because they might be moving up. There are no guarantees, but but you know, there's this groundswell of hope that something different, something new is going to happen. So let's sort of yeah go to sleep dreaming those dreams while we can. <laughs> um, also, one final thing is that it sounds like Jason Steele might somehow be getting a Premier League move. Uh, it looks like we might be getting Great, that, like, possibly even a, a profit. That, like. <laughs> um, so, Scenes. Yeah, yeah. He's going to, to Brighton. Um, how, how? I suppose the question is, how does that happen? Um, Tim Krul is leaving on a free transfer, <laughs> <Still>. I think. <laughs> 
Look, the world needs second brackets, third choice yeah, goalkeepers as well. Um, Richard Wright and Stuart Taylor, the great old vanguards of third choice goalkeepering, <laughs> can't go on forever. I'm afraid. Steve so. Harper, so. another fine example. <laughs> so somebody say. has got to sit on that bench or yeah. throw the balls at the first choice goalkeeper <laughs> on a Monday. <laughs> that morning. man is Jason Steele. Oh, bless him, bless him. It didn't work out for him, did it? I don't no. think he's a local lad as well. It's a shame. Like well, I genuinely, yeah. he's from Newton Aircliff, isn't he? That's reasonably local. Ah. It's local enough. Yeah, it's not as local <clears> as me <throat> being from Black. Yeah. yeah. It was horrible. It, he, I think he, he probably knows himself. I, I think he's he's a n- nice guy, Jason yeah. Steele. Of course, he didn't want the season to go the way the season went for him, but I think he maybe knows himself. It is possibly remember back Kelvin Davis, that sort of thing. There comes yeah. a point with a goalkeeper, especially a goalkeeper. Yeah. If it doesn't work well at the start, you think it's just not going to work here. No. Is it? David De Gea beat that though, because he had a nightmare debut. If you remember at Man United, Craig Gordon and all actually. Yeah, Craig Gordon didn't have the greatest yeah. assault at Sunderland. But then again, neither of those had the, the 5-0 opening friendly loss to Sunderland on the 20th anniversary. <laughs> that that, was I feel like if I was in Gough, I'd be like, nah, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This is something, something's going to go horribly wrong. Well, were we all at that game? Yeah. yeah I wasn't. Was I, was at, no, I was on holiday, actually. I wasn't, I wasn't at that yeah. game. No, I was Because not... uh, I've got to like, get as much footage as I can for ITV. I was at the Livingston game, but I wasn't at the Celtic game. <laughs> which is quite Celtic. bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. But there you go. Um, well, I think we're all done. So, Simon, you've been a brilliant guest. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank uh, you very much. I hope you'll come back on. I'll come back on anytime you'd like me to, and I look forward to listening to your next podcast, uh, which oh. is the one that people, let's face it, will listen to this rather than this one, yeah. um, when uh, the new owner comes back in. This was like England playing Costa Rica. This was the <laughs> friendly... Yeah. This is the friendly game. It's going to be nice and easy, but yeah. We're all warmed up for the, the yeah. main event. Yeah, exactly. I ain't no Marcus event. Rashford goal, though. So <laughs> that's just the way it goes. Good luck with it, boys, though. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. And Alex, thanks for coming on. As always, Alex. you'll be joining me on... Thursday I most certainly will so that, that's going to be exciting you pretty much just shut up though because nobody cares what you think and nobody yeah, really cares what I yeah, think yeah. We, we'll, we'll sit here silently just nodding along yeah, eagerly just, with whimsical I'll just like give him a piece of paper and just write the questions on just so that Stuart Donald speaks yeah. the whole time um, so yeah uh, join one Thursday follow on Twitter Instagram YouTube uh, that, that's pretty much MySpace, it MySpace Bebo Bebo Habo Pixel Hotel. Habo Hotel what's that oh it was like some like weird MMO game in like the what's an MMO game? I don't game? know what half of these are. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was like some. Actually, probably not MMO. Probably the wrong word. It was like some like game in the mid noughties that was like. Do you mean you popular. used to play this game? Yeah, yeah. It was. It wasn't like RuneScape tier popular, but it was up there. You know. I played a RuneScape at least. Yeah, it was just like an off-key remark. Really, it, yeah. ignore me. Do you play video games, Simon? Uh, no, not anymore. But my daughter does. FIFA's. Um, bit of FIFA. Uh, a bit of fighty stuff. Nice. And, and what's the one? Fortnite. Fortnite, oh, yeah, yeah. My brother loves that. My nephew yeah. plays that all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't get it. Personally. He watches YouTube videos on it. So he'll sit there, you have his Switch there, not play it, and then he'll watch a YouTube video on people playing it. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, my brother I, does I don't that, understand. Yeah. <laughs> These very annoying loud YouTubers. Yeah, it's weird. But hey ho, it's the future, apparently. Right. Esports. Okay, well, uh, we'll see you all on Thursday, and uh, thanks for listening. Adios. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? 
needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.